Welcome to OsteoCast, where we talk all things osteopathy, functional anatomy, and movement. With your hosts, myself, Colby Brokel, Amanda Boysen, and Sarah Pucal. And welcome back to another episode of OsteoCast. Today we got a special one for you. We have our first time ever. We've got a guest speaker coming on. So she's going to join us in a minute here. You guys are going to hear us jump into the podcast. I wanted to give her an introduction. Her name is Melissa Biscardi. Uh, she's a nurse as well as a manual osteopath. Uh, she practices in Toronto out of her business called The Rehab Lab. Um, of course, she focuses on osteopathy, but as well, she is a concussion clinician and researcher. So she spends a lot of her time working with concussion patients as well as doing research in concussion. And she does, of course, have uh, numerous uh, publications and book sightings and things that she's worked on. So we're going to have her on today to have a discussion about osteopathy as a whole, how things went through COVID, uh, as well as in the, the realm of the concussion, of course, with her specialty there. Another cool fact about her is she's a four-time world champ for Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, which is pretty amazing. So we're pretty excited to have her on as our first guest. It's going to be a good chat. I hope you guys enjoy it. Take care and listen in. So we have Melissa Biscardi here with us on OsteoCast today, and I have a few questions I want to go through with you, Melissa. Um, we won't go through your full background, but maybe give us a quick Coles notes about your background and uh, basically what led you to create the Rehab Lab. Sure. So in, let's say, under two minutes. So I started... <laughs> I started in nursing and then I met an osteopath, a manual osteopath who totally inspired me. And I was like, I want to be like him. That led me into osteopathy. I went to NAO first and then I went and did three years at the CAO. I actually left there because I was having severe memory problems. Uh, really bad memory problems. And that, in a nutshell, led me to have a huge interest in the brain and um, really being a crusader for people who get lost in the medical system with invisible injuries. So the rehab lab was born. And then I showed up on this podcast. (laughs) No, it's awesome. You're actually our first guest on the podcast, which is pretty cool. We've been... uh, We've been talking about it for, I don't know, a long time. And we're like, when do we do this? And I just sent out that little uh, post online and you're like, me, me. I was like, done. Good person to have on. So you created the rehab lab and I don't think you always focused on concussion. So what led you to that transition to become a concussion focused lab? Um, So definitely it was inspired by my own, you know, challenges with my memory and I mean, the rehab lab is just me. So it's just, even though it has that name right now, it is just me. That's a sweet name. Right? So I trademarked it or whatever. Um, And then I just started seeing more and more. And I definitely see all sorts of patients still. But I really have a soft spot for people who are suffering from concussions or other brain-related issues. Totally. I saw when I was reading through your website there that you're like a four-time world champ in jiu-jitsu, yeah? Yes, yes. That's freaking badass. 
So is that in another lifetime? I feel like I'm a cat. I have multiple lives that have happened. (laughs) (laughs) That's good. Um, So I went on to ask that you're talking about your memory issues. Do you think that stemmed at all from training and competing in jujitsu, or is it from something else? If we can ask. Yeah, absolutely. So I've definitely sustained a concussion from martial arts, but the memory issues, and I speak about this openly was from taking Benadryl. So over the counter medication consistently. And then how I figured out that was the problem was randomly. I found the research article that showed Benadryl is associated with Alzheimer's disease. So the sample was older people, but it was a perfect correlation for me. I started to take it, then it was daily, then I lost my memory. I couldn't remember who people were. So I got off the Benadryl, and then slowly my memory started coming back. Right on. Cool. So concussion-related, and then Benadryl, you have bad like allergies, or what was the... Oh, sorry. So Benadryl is also a sleep aid. So I was... Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. Cool. So now I always tell people, you know, stay away from it. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Well, not not for regular use. Anyways. Right, exactly, exactly. So um, I was reading too on the website, you have a whole bunch of research and papers and even some books and stuff that you've been published in. So do you want to tell us a little bit about your work with that stuff and kind of what led you down that path? Sure. So after my osteopathy training, I've always been interested in research. And I met with Dr. Cole Antonio from U of T and it was just the stars aligned. My research or sorry, my nursing practice was initially in reproductive medicine. And then what we did for my initial research was looking at women post-concussion and persistent symptoms, especially to do with the reproductive system. So it just seemed like everything was aligning. And so I did that research and <laughs> we can cut that out. Um, and all those publications basically came from my work with Dr. Cole Antonio. She just opened a lot of doors for me. We, we wrote on older people and brain injuries, women and brain injuries. So that was really, really great. And I hope to do more research. I would like to focus more on the treatment side, but we'll see what happens. Nice. Yeah. Have you done any research uh, with like osteopathy as part of it? I haven't. And it's funny because, you know, the world is run by the medical system and osteopathy Mm -hmm. is kind of a little bit on the outside, but the truth is we have to work with the medical system and, and osteopathy, while the proof is on the table, we do need the proof in those publications to rise the profession up. So it will be interesting to see what happens over the next few years for sure. Yeah, I'm curious to see how that path lays out if it's treatment related uh, on the table or how the funding comes from that because I know that's a big component with research in general is getting clearance and and funding to go through the research and then of course getting someone on board to you know replicate all the variables and make things consistent and da 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 which is difficult in that on the table atmosphere and it's not osteopathy the way we think about it right because we don't treat with protocols. So it's hard, yeah, it's hard to to put that in and make it replicable numerous times when you do that way, right? 
It was cool. interesting to see when we had gone down to Kirksville that they do have a research lab there and they are kind of starting to play with what some of that could look like um, and specifically use that for newer students. Um, definitely, like you said, Melissa, it's not the way that maybe we think about osteopathy at the moment, um, but maybe that that's the start to getting that kind of going. Have you been to Kirksville, Melissa? I haven't. No. I so will we have went down to go when all of this is over. <laughs> yeah, the three of us went down uh well last year I guess it was. And there was as Amanda was talking about that, there's a lab there where they're doing all kinds of um like postural and gait cycle testing and then okay. um mostly like pressures to know like if you're pushing equal between your thumbs or equal between your hands on a patient, they have some where you're like palpating through like a sheet of foam to feel where a lumbar vertebra is and if you can feel tvps and stuff so it's super like base level palpation and assessment but they haven't been doing a whole lot yet with actual treatment and seeing the result with treatment but at least it's uh, a door opening right there's Absolutely. steps are being taken which is pretty cool. well and that's part of the challenge is finding out variables you can properly measure that would be regarded you know, it's gold standard in the scientific community that would actually get published. Yeah, totally. Because just you have to follow right specific protocols to even get your paper published. Well, every so. patient is so different. So even to just get that yeah. baseline or, or that group you're going to control against is, is hard too, right? So. Totally. Yeah, definitely. So I know Melissa, when we were all shut down during the 2019-2020 pandemic, uh, you transitioned to virtual care. Uh, so myself, Colby Namando, um, just because most of our background is based on uh, manual osteopathy, we didn't have that option to provide virtual care for our clients other than to just be there and support them. But you have a background as a registered nurse. So you were able to provide them with virtual care. So do you mind talking to that and how that experience was? And if you are even still doing that in your practice? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, it's interesting because I will quote uh, Mr. Johnson, osteopathy is progressive. And that means that we have to get with the times and the world is moving virtual, right? We have to be able to support our patients, whatever that looks like. And I know some of the manual osteopaths were able to provide the care and some weren't, but definitely people needed connection with their health professionals. And I feel like a lot of my sessions were talking. They just needed to be heard. They're very stressed. And then they're sitting. They're not even getting their walk to work. So the pains come up and most of the sessions would include just either guiding them, having them use their own hands to do some gentle release on their neck or whatnot, and then guiding them through some easy homework exercises that were very safe. Of course, these were all already my patients, so they already knew their body to a certain extent, right? Yeah, there are people you knew and they knew you ahead of time, so you understood yeah. how your bodies were working. Cool. Yeah, absolutely. And the other thing is, I think it's really interesting because there is just so much stress. The world is in a high state of stress, and we're now that the world has opened up, we're seeing it on the tables, right? Of course, yeah. Yeah. Um, so outside of the, the virtual component, I know that you do a bunch of concussion work uh, in the clinic as well. 
Mm-hmm. So I'm super interested to hear how you go through that process. And I mean, you don't have to give everything away, but kind of walk us through what happens with a, a patient coming in with some concussion level symptoms and just kind of how you go about it for both us to learn as well as the mm-hmm. listeners to get an idea on how a concussion specialist deals with it. Sure. So, uh, you know, of course, they've been diagnosed by an MD or a nurse practitioner course, yeah. with a concussion. They end up in my office and there are different parts of assessment that happen. One is I have had extra training in concussion. So I'll look at the eyes, the balance, reflexes, some stuff we do learn in osteopathy, but just looking how is the nervous system working? What are the imbalances are? And then looking at the the tissue, because with every concussion, there is a component of whiplash. And that's because the threshold for whiplash is actually lower than for concussion. So a lot of assessment happens around the neck and the cranial tissues. Often these patients have swelling actually in their cranial tissues. And so looking at that and how the drainage pathways are working, like on a previous episode, you guys were talking about how the lymphatics are in the folds. Well, if someone has has sustained whiplash, where's that drainage pathway? Exactly. So that's that's the assessment in a nutshell. (laughs) Right on. Cool. So essentially, when you're looking at it, it's it's osteopathic in nature and Mm -hmm. you're going through the assessment from head to toe of course but focusing on the neck and how the drainage works and then with the eye training and stuff like that you're assessing eyes and do you use like retraining and whatnot with the eyes to help with the concussion symptoms i do absolutely especially because 90 percent of patients will have a disruption in their eye movements after they sustain a concussion so sometimes they just convergence is often a problem so bringing the eyes closer together yeah and then and or sometimes gaze stability the truth is if our gate if our eyes can focus on a target well if it can follow a target if it if our eyes can move with our head and neck movements, then we can take in the world around us well. But often these systems get disrupted with concussion. So just like building a bicep, we work the mechanisms. It's the same thing in concussion. Like when you really break it down, it's quite it's the basic principles just applied to the brain. Totally. So then um, when you're dealing with the eye issues, do you use that same thought process now working with, with osteopathic patients with other variations of either neck issues or like parasympathetic control down through the abdomen and stuff and working with your saccades and smooth pursuits and stuff like that. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And like you say, everything is connected. Yeah. Cool. I did a a brief course over COVID on uh, eye eye movement and eye training and stuff like that and how to just do some simple assessments. So nothing in detail by any means, but I was interested to ask you about um, how that worked with you and how you go about it. I have, so usually I start with gaze stability because like I said, our eyes have to be able to look at something and it actually be stable. Sometimes the eyes are not stable, so but we can't perceive that, right? Our brain sorts that out for us. So first I work on gaze stability and okay, your eyes can actually focus. Good. Now let's work on the pursuits. I usually work on the pursuits next. So as if you're watching a car racing by you without moving your head and then work on the saccades. So I, there is sort of a, a method to the madness. As for I sure. Everything. Cool. Cool. 
Um, and then I have one question for you. Do you just have it with like, uh, you have people use a pen and stuff, or do you have like an app that they use on a device or how do you go about that with your people? So I actually made an app called brain toolkit and it's, it, yeah, it's <laughs> just on nice. for Google play now. And it's just being uploaded for the iPhone and it's very basic, but I made it because the only one out there cost patients $50. So that's not really accessible. So I had this app made and then that will facilitate the homework. But if they don't want the app, they can use a pen. Gotcha. Cool. I have a patient who's had some concussion symptoms that's, or some concussion issues that's used, uh, obviously went through the medical side, but then he's been using an app on his iPad to do okay. it and it's had mm-hmm. some success so i don't know what the app is but he's using the dots jumping all over the place oh, and yeah stuff, but... it's probably the 50 dollars one <laughs> yeah most likely most likely so next question for you what does a typical day look like for you so i mean COVID aside you're probably probably looks a little bit different now but are you seeing patients virtually were you doing that prior to covid um are you writing mostly papers or doing research So a typical clinic day is eight hours, I guess. And I do still have some virtual patients, either because they are still nervous about being out in the world or because the drive to my clinic is a little bit far. So I maybe have four virtual sessions a week, though, not too many, and the rest are in person. And I would say it's more than 50% neuro patients so not necessarily concussion but neuro symptoms and then the rest are all the other stuff back pain neck pain the usual do you find that clients you see do they mostly come for you to you initially because of a concussion and then they stay and you continue to care for them exactly yeah and okay. then i have the patients who were already my patients before this sort of interest really drove me down the concussion rabbit hole. Gotcha. Cool. 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 Um, we've been ringing questions off you for like 20 minutes. Do you have any questions for us? Sure. So, well, put her on the spot. <laughs> how, did, how did you guys support your patients when you weren't able to see them? person for me i spent a lot of time on the phone and or emails chatting with people i mean we can't provide osteopathically or osteopathic care for ourselves or for them anyways virtually in our scenario Mm -hmm. so for the most part it was just making sure people were taken care of um some people that had uh, homework given previously making sure that they were up to date with that and or improving as needed Um, but really just more more or less for myself was just supporting them staying in communication so they knew that like what was going on with osteopathy and how we were doing. And surprisingly, well, not really surprisingly, a lot of people, a lot of stuff got better because they weren't doing their everyday routines. They weren't working. They weren't laying bricks. For me, I'm in Windsor. So a lot of auto workers and stuff, and they weren't in the factories slinging tools around and stuff. So there's a lot of people whose back pain disappeared. But then, of course, one week back to work, it was back again, right? So it wasn't really fixed. It was just not aggravated. But for the most part, it was just, keeping in contact and taking care of people the best that we could via or best I could anyways, via email and, and phone chats and making sure that their exercises and or homework was being done properly. Yeah, I would say the same for me. 
just making sure you're staying in contact. Mm-hmm. I did create a few videos for people who were looking for some, you know, some movement or um, something that was bothering them. So trying to work through that. Um, I do have a background in um, fitness and um, strength and conditioning and stuff like that. So providing that. Um, and then just similar to what Colby was saying is that some, some people's things went away, but I feel like some people's also got worse. Mm-hmm. Noticing a lot more head, neck, shoulder injuries from people's home offices now. Um, so trying to, you know, home educate office, people a little bit about that. AKA uh, sitting on the couch, <laughs> right? Yeah. Like with yeah. poor popcorn at the computer on the lap. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> Laying on the floor. Yeah. All kinds of stuff. Yeah. So. Yeah, kind of opposite you, Colby. I'd say most of my clients have gotten worse just because there's such a long period of time where there was that fear about leaving your house that so many people kind of got used to that working from home, end up working, you know, a much longer than an eight-hour day. And, you know, now we're kind of trying to undo all that sitting and just encouraging more movement. And then regarding um, when we were off work, similar to Colby and Amanda, I just tried to um, – support my clients virtually, whether that was by phone, by text, um, a few I did video calls with. Uh, and again, a lot of that was really just these, a lot of people live alone and they need some social interaction. They need someone to remind them of the things they need to be doing because they're not seeing people every day that are going to give them that reminder and that motivation, right? To get off the couch and put the computer down for an hour and, go see some fresh air, see some sunshine. Absolutely. And even just walking, like walking is medicine, right? Oh. And so many people... So underrated. My- say it again. No, I was going to say <laughs> on the walking part, there's so many more people here in Windsor walking than ever before. Oh, really? Oh, that's COVID. good. Like I walk the dog every night for like an hour, hour and a half. And I would literally go for walks and see one other person or no one. And now no matter where I go, I'm almost irritated because there's so many people that I just can't like go have peace and quiet somewhere. So it's awesome to see that everybody's out and about and getting healthier and doing that. But I would, I'm being selfish to some extent. (laughs) Yeah, it's good. That's really good. I had a thought and it escaped me. Maybe it'll come back. (laughs) Right on. Cool. So we didn't discuss, uh, you are working on your PhD now, Melissa. Uh, I'm just curious what your PhD is in and kind of why you decided to take that route. Um, I It was always a thing that I wanted to do. So I, I haven't started yet. I sort of deferred it until January. And the reason is because there really is, I'm being pulled in two directions, whether I want to go further into expanding on my master's, like women specific to women, women in concussion, or if I want to do an intervention study. And so I have to sort that out. The truth is I want to do everything and that's the problem. (laughs) You got to pick which one you have more passion for, right? For sure. For sure. And which one can get done. Yes, true. (laughs) And one of yeah, and one of them it, it, they clarify if if I'm wrong, but one would be more clinical based, and one would be more academic based, right? Exactly, and I, that's the thing. I always want to have one foot in the clinic door. That's why I want to do an intervention, so it's directly related to patients I see. But we'll see what happens. Yeah, the, looking the, forward to hearing more about where you go with that. I will keep you posted. 
please do. Yes, please do. Bureaucracy of education. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Good, good. Um, so that was like, it, it, I know we talked about the concussions and how things went virtual care for you. And how are you uh, in terms of um, osteopathic care? I know that you have a little bit different education than we mm-hmm. received and you did most of what we did, but you also had a previous education before that. Mm-hmm. So just give us a little bit of insight if you can, in terms of like how you, how your personal philosophy is with looking at the, the human body when you're going through a treatment process and assessment process. Yeah, I would say I'm mostly influenced by the CAO as for many, many reasons. The body is a unit, you know, all of the principles, yeah. but, and also when, even though a concussion is an injury of the head, it definitely, it's an injury of the body. Oh, right? Sure. So I was talking earlier with Sarah about it and how it, it very much is the same. We cells need nutrients, oxygen, drainage, stimulation. And so even though my practice is a little bit specialized, it still is osteopathy every single day. Sure. Yeah. And, and it's so funny, and I know you guys see this all the time, but for example, if they someone sustains a concussion or a neck injury, and then we start asking about digestion, and they say, how did you know my digestion was off? Yeah. <laughs> I think you're magical. magic. Mostly right? yeah. magic. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Bunch of wizards. Yes. <laughs> so still like a very holistic approach. And even with concussion, First, you have to get the nervous system on board, right? So supporting the nervous system, supporting the blood flow, um, the drainage. And it's very funny because, of course, we know this is logical, but it took many, many years for the research to come out to make it standard practice to support the autonomic nervous system after a concussion. Because if you remember for about, 400 years we would lock people in a dark room right for months Mm -hmm. and that actually produces worse outcomes right the brain needs stimulation it need you need to be up and and this is you know best practice get up and walk at a conversation pace after you've sustained a concussion so it's so funny to me because i see that osteopathy is so wonderful so logical but sometimes we just don't have the papers to back it up. Yeah, that's when you start to get into the research side of it, right? Yeah. Right on. No, it's. I was just curious on that, like when we were talking about that, just because we all kind of have different approaches and philosophies to osteopathy, even on our own. And that's kind of like the, the magic to it, right? So I was just curious if there's any other influence that way. But it sounds like we all have a very similar education and similar influence on that matter say maybe if anything was different is maybe I provide a little bit more on the exercise side whether it be brain exercises or body homework but I feel like everybody does in their own like you're saying with their own little flair yeah everyone has their own thing that they do right so Mm -hmm. that's good cool awesome and then I, my question for you, if we kind of to be the last question for tonight, if anyone has any more, maybe would be, where do you see the rehab lab going down the road, whether that's two years, five years, kind of what's your, what's your dream for the rehab lab? Do you want to continue to be a solo practitioner? Are you hoping to grow? 
I do want to continue to be a solo practitioner because I have no desire to manage other people. And you know how busy she's going to be? She's doing a PhD, dude. <laughs> but I actually love being a solo practitioner because I actually work with other people of my choosing, right? Like I don't have yeah. to collaborate with people in the same building as me. I can collaborate with anyone to support the best outcomes for the patient, which I absolutely love. Yes, I definitely want to continue with research. I would like to do when the world opens up a little more speaking and collaborating for sure. I definitely see myself staying brain injury focused for the future. And yes, I guess we'll see what opportunities arise. Yeah, it's hard to make like a a set in stone plan right now with COVID and how the world is, but for That's sure. awesome. I'm I'm excited to hear that you still have plans and growth there. The obviously in the academic component and osteopathic component, and keeping the clinic going. For sure. What about you guys? Go ahead. Whoever wants to speak, I'll I'll save myself for last. <laughs> that feels like a uh, a loaded question, <laughs> Melissa. I currently practice solo. Um, I would definitely say down the road, I do see myself practicing uh most likely with other osteos um and then perhaps some similar minded uh practitioners whether that's massage acupuncture uh but again we'll kind of it's been an interesting year so i think let's just get to 2021 and go from there what about you amanda um yeah so currently i do practice um by myself in my office um but have space to bring on someone else um and pretty close to getting to that point of meeting Meeting someone else in the office that um, is on the same wavelength or treats the same, I have a vision of treating all osteopathically or having a clinic that's full of osteopathic practitioners where we can collaborate and really um, kind of dig on together. Um, but yeah, I love that's, it. that's where I'm at at the moment. Nice. I have no idea. We'll see what happens. It's going to be go with the flow, but I mean, right now I have a, a clinical space with another osteo and an RMTN with me. Um, the three of us run like an integrated style care clinic where patients can see any of us and we bounce ideas off each other and have numerous ways of communication between a whiteboard to group chats and then obviously meeting in person on a regular basis. But um, I'm not sure whether or not I want to grow the clinic to be bigger and bigger or if I want to do something solo down the road, we'll kind of see how things progress. But as of right now, the clinical format like this has been good. And I'd love to add another osteo to the team. Um, and then also something a little bit different, like a naturopath or something like that to support the the nutrition side of it, as well as um, potentially if, if things worked out to bring on someone uh, in the emotional or uh, psyche side of things as well would be cool in the clinic, but we'll see how the clinic progresses over time. And just like you said about managing people and working with that, managing other practitioners and making sure everyone else is on board and doing the things they're supposed to can become overwhelming, I'm sure, as it gets bigger. So Absolutely. based on how overwhelmed I get, we may end up by myself and I may be in a clinic with a bunch of practitioners. We'll see. I think it's scary right enough. now to think about having a clinic too, because, you know, what if we shut down again or, yeah. or whatnot, right? Which, you know, I don't think it's going to happen, knock on wood. But yeah, I think the idea of having a my own clinic space or a large clinic space is a little bit scary. I do like the idea of a bunch of osteos under the same roof for sure. I think we're a yeah, special bunch. 
Well, and then you know what happens is if you have patients that you just can't quite figure out, you can pass them off or you can have a little chat and be like, okay, guys, this is my patient. This is what's going on. What do you guys think? And then you, whoever's your, your practitioners with you can give you their thoughts and you'd be like, oh yeah, that. And then you can go and do what you're going to do if you forgot about something or, you know, like I got these big bare paw of hands and sometimes I just can't quite get what needs to be done. So if you have someone else that has a little bit different touch or you know how it is sometimes with patients, you just don't get along. You just don't, your vibes just don't work together. Energy doesn't work. So yeah. you got to find someone else, but it's nice when it's in-house because then you can have those discussions and communication all together. Absolutely. But yeah, as far as being scared with a clinic, totally. Because yeah. not only do you have your patients that rely on you, but you mm-hmm. also have multiple practitioners and all their patients too, right? So For crazy. Sure. I have become more of a business manager, right? And it takes away from your being a practitioner and osteopath. Always clinician first. So. Yes, absolutely. I, I think it's funny when we become clinicians, we don't think of, or I didn't anyway, but think of all the other roles that, come under that hat oh man oh man yeah i agree even just now we just got the uh the hst card thrown on us here so the the government just decided that that. osteopathy now has to collect and remit for hst and it's like okay well there's a whole other category that we have to figure out in 24 hours yeah exactly oh and throw on our patients too but Oh yeah, that was the worst part. I mean, it doesn't change a whole lot for the practice, except that it it might limit growth a little bit in the future. But the Mm -hmm. most part, it's the worst part for me anyways, is my patients telling people that. That being said, everyone's been so receptive because they're like, yeah, well, what do you expect with all of the COVID costs and stuff, right? So that's what I was thinking. It's like, well, we're going to have to pay for the the lockdown. So that's how it's happening. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I have one more question for you. So if you had to leave our patient or sorry, our listeners, I shouldn't say our patients, our listeners um, with one piece of advice, what would that be? So I would say, oh, this might sound corny, but like. (laughs) It's supposed to be. This this is your catchphrase right here. Yeah. I was going to, there are two things. One is I was going to be like, really follow follow your passion even if it means you end up like not pigeonholing yourself but like going down a specific road but similar to that I was going to say when you're with a patient really be with them in that moment and this may sound like of course that's what we do but it's easy to be stressed and distracted when you're in the office all these things going around you but really zeroing in on that patient and then you can get like the therapeutic energy exchange all of that esoteric stuff <laughs> um and really help the patients awesome i love awesome. it that's great i agree awesome. completely. great advice um i actually want to say something so i know the word magical is thrown around and i think it's amazing if someone ref- like were to refer to you or me and say you know, they're magical or, oh my gosh, how did you do that? It was magic. And there are other practitioners who think that means that we didn't explain our, our, how how we practice well enough, but I think it should be a compliment because you're able to help someone in a way that is so healing and natural that, yeah, it's just that good of an experience for them. 
Yeah, I think that when people say magical, it's because it's something that they thought was not possible that was out of their world, right? And like nothing against any other practitioners, but like most of the patients I see have already seen 10 different disciplines and they come and you're like, this is magical. Like, how did you do this? I've been seeing people for five years. And it's like, it's just anatomy. It's just principles. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Lever and fulcrum, you're good at what you do. You can see the body in a different way. Absolutely. Yeah. Exactly. So Melissa, where can everyone find you if they'd like to follow you online or read more about your publications and what you're doing in the concussion world? Sure. So all of the action happens on Instagram and it's at the.rehab.lab. Nice. I'll see you there. So everybody go over there, follow her, check out the stuff she puts up. Thank you guys for listening. And Melissa, thank you for joining us today and having a chat with us. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no problem. Thank you very much. Thank you. Have a good night, everyone, and enjoy listening to this awesome episode.